Take your Bibles, let's go to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8 and begin reading in verse number 12 is where we'll start our reading this morning. The Apostle Paul admonished Timothy in his epistle to Timothy of telling him to give attendance to reading. And the reference there is to the public reading of Scripture, of making Scripture read publicly. And I think that is an important part of our gathering as a church that we read the scripture together and that we not leave it uh, passed over. Uh, obviously we can read much more than what any selection of scripture is chosen for a Sunday morning, uh, but I don't want to shy away from reading together. Let the word of God be what we need and uh, it's our habit now to stand together when we read, but let me just say this to those of you that maybe standing for a long period of time is somewhat painful for you. I understand that. And please do not think I would be offended ever if you did not stand. And we would take no offense in that. Um, but I do like to stand for the reading of the Word. So this morning, if you are able to do that, let's stand together and read the Word of God together. We're going to read verse number 12 down through verse number 39. And I'll try to do as little commentary on the text as I can um, as we walk through this, all right? So let's begin reading together. The Apostle Paul has already given us the fact that the Spirit of God is working in us, and it is He that quickens us to do uh, this work and to live out this Christian life. And then he comes in verse number 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And contrast to being sons of Adam, we are sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How many of you could say amen to that? Amen. That we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be we, have, we suffer with Him, we may also be glorified together, be also glorified together. We have suffered with Him in that we have been crucified with Christ, we have been buried with Christ, and we will be raised with Christ. This is what this is pointing to, that we have suffered, we have been crucified with him. We are going to be raised with him. And notice the word, we also shall be glorified together. The word glorified. For I reckon, again, evidence that Paul was probably Southern. That's not true, folks, all right. Um, that's what you call an eisegesis. I'm reading into the text, all right. That's not true. Uh, I reckon, or I account that. The suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature or the creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was made sub subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subject subjected the same in hope. 
Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption under the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. How many of you could say you groan within yourselves, waiting for the day when this world will be no more and heaven will be a reality? We groan for that. And we're going to unpack that this morning. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, also he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. Let me remind you, this is not a separate step-by-step process, but it is a deal that is packaged together. He has called us. He has justified us. He is sanctifying us, and he will glorify us. It's a package deal. Verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, nay, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. I love that word persuaded. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that it ministers to our heart when we do nothing but read it together. And what I pray, Father, this morning, that as we have read the word of God, that you would do your work in our hearts as we give the sense of it this morning. And we'll praise you for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' precious name we ask it. Amen. You can be seated there. 
As you know, for several weeks, we've been going through our series of defining the gospel. And I was talking to Brother Leon before church today, and we were chatting in the back. And the reality of it, if you get to a chapter like chapter number eight, we could be 10 weeks in chapter eight easy, and we would still have much more to unpack. And so we're trying our best to lay out these principles in a kind of a 30,000 foot view to give you an overview of what it means to be in the gospel and to believe the gospel. And as we unpack these, we want to make sure we're doing uh, fairness to the text, but also to the overall theme of what we're trying to break out. And so I want to go back and review with you just for a moment that the first thing that happens when we come to the gospel, the Bible says he calls us by his grace. The Bible says the first thing is we are justified. Justified. We said that is a legal declaration that we are no longer guilty before the law. We have been declared free of our sin debt. We have been justified. And if all that happened to us is that we were justified, it would leave us without owing a debt, but it would still leave us a pauper. Now think about that for a second. If this morning someone were to come in with their checkbook and say, hey, I want to know how much you owe on your house, how much you owe on your cars, I want to know how much you owe, and they were to cancel all your debt with one check and it was paid off, it doesn't put any more money in your bank. Your debt's just been canceled. To be justified means I have been legally declared innocent before the law. But then on the other side of the spectrum, and there's this process in the middle, we're calling sanctified. This is the Bible word, sanctified. I am being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, but I'm also going to be glorified. That means I am an heir and a joint heir with Christ. I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. That means everything that Christ has earned the right to, I have been given by grace. I have a standing with God. I have access into heaven. And one day I'm going to realize the inheritance that justification purchased for me. Because it wasn't just justified, it is justified, sanctified, glorified. And that's the work he's doing. And so justified, we said last Sunday, justified means that I have been released from the penalty of sin. No longer is sin's penalty going to be enacted upon me. Understanding now that I have died to the law and death can touch me no more. The law cannot ever exact its penalty upon Mike Montgomery because I died in Christ Jesus. And in Christ, we have been made free from the penalty of sin. And so we have been justified. Sanctified is that God has delivered us from the power of sin. And we've talked about this for a couple of weeks now. We do not have to live bound by sin anymore. We are growing in the likeness of Christ and the sin no longer reigns over us. We said it several times, sin remains, but it no longer reigns. And then finally, glorified. The glorification is where you and I one day will be delivered from the presence of sin. No more will sin be in our presence. You understand right now in this process of being sanctified that sin is all around us? We see it every day on the television. We see it every day in the news. We hear it on the radio. How many of you understand that it lives right here within our hearts still? But one day, the songwriter said, this robe of flesh, 
I'll drop and rise and seize the everlasting skies and shout while passing through the air, farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. Because this body of flesh will be done away with and I will have a glorified body and I will be like him for I will see him as he is. And that day of glorification, we call it by many terms. Some would say it's the rapture. That's not really a Bible term. The Bible term is the resurrection. The resurrection. When the trumpet sounds and the resurrection appears, the resurrection, Jesus Christ, appears in the cloud, you and I who have, uh, are here now and those who are dead in Christ will be raised up together. And in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, all the sin nature will be taken away. This robe of flesh will be done away with and we will be glorified or given a new body in that moment. And Paul talks about this as being the glory that shall be revealed. This is something that is coming. This is an anticipation within us. Now, I've said this several times. I think if we're not careful, we can almost put too much of a Hollywood spin on heaven that we get the idea of, like, I don't know about you, I don't want to go to a place that they're describing. To end up in a place with a bunch of clouds and people sitting around playing harps. I, I don't know how to play a harp. That doesn't sound fun. And wings would look very awkward on me. You know, it just, that doesn't fit. But this image of it, that is not what it's going to be. Let, let, me, let me see if I can't stop and just for a second understand. You were created a physical being with a spirit within you. And you are forever going to be a physical being with a spirit within you. God is creating a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new heaven and new earth, we are going to live forever with him. When we talk about today dying and going to heaven, we mean to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I believe this, the moment a saint closes his eyes on this side of eternity, their spirit is with him in heaven. They are in the presence of God in that very moment. There is not a such thing as this idea of being asleep uh, in death and there's no consciousness. That's not the case at all. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us there is a great cloud of witnesses. They are watching what's going on. I believe they're cheering for what's going on down here. And that rejoicing is taking place the moment that we die, we are present with God. But then one day, all those who are dead in Christ are going to be reunited with a glorified body. And at that day, there is going to be a reunion like never before. And shortly after that, a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible says God will dwell with us. Now, <coughs> that's a short story of the end times, and I'm not going to be able to unpack much more of the timeline on that. But I want to give you a word that Paul uses here, and he uses it several times, it's the word hope. Hope. Hope describes the Christian life. Is that we look forward and we hope. Somebody described hope as being something that is in the future. Faith is something that I'm acting on now based upon the hope I have in the future. We, we do it with our kids around Christmas time. Some of us do. You better behave yourself. Christmas is coming. Right? You know, I'm going to tell Santa Claus on you. And what do we do? We give them something to anticipate so that it will affect their behavior in the present. Now, you and I have something that has taken place in the past and something we're looking forward to in the future, and these two truths give us hope. 
in the present. That this world is not all there is. How many of you are glad to that this morning? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That's what we're going for. We're looking forward to the day when we see Jesus face to face. So, sanctification is the process right now being conformed to the image of Jesus. One day, we will realize all that is being unfolded here now. The message of the gospel is a message of hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. And, and I think the word hope has gotten watered down, has it not? You know, I hope the lions have a good year. Good luck for that. You know, I, you know, you know we can hope these things, but there's no confident reality behind that hope. But when I talk about a hope in Jesus Christ, how sure am I that I'm going to be resurrected from the dead? As sure as I that Christ rose from the dead. Because I believe that Jesus died and that he rose again. And because of that, I believe. I don't understand it. I can't really even comprehend it. But the reality is this body will one day be perfected and be like Christ. I'm going to get a glorified body. And my hope is not based upon pie in the sky, lack of evidence, but it's based upon sure facts that Christ rose from the dead. So we're not saying, well, I hope this works out. We're saying, no, we have a hope. Hebrews chapter 6 describes hope as the anchor of our soul. I like that description. The hope is the anchor of our soul. When this world would blow us this way and that, when it would toss us to and fro, we are anchored to a rock, and this hope in Christ is what holds us firm. We believe one day that sinners will become saints, that the broken will be made whole, that enemies are made friends, that aliens become citizens, that death is turned to life, that loss becomes gain, that the bond becomes free. In our text, Paul then is concluding his argument for the work of redemption, and a marvelous argument it is. And Paul has laid these points out in, in progressive order, and we come to Romans 8, in verse number 18 through 26, and that's where I want to focus the balance of our time. I want you to see three terms that I think outline this out for us very clearly. First off, our present suffering. Then I want you to see the unrevealed glory. And then finally, the earnest expectation. Present suffering, unrevealed glory, and earnest expectation. So look, if you would, in verse number 18, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time. The suffering of this present time. What is Paul referring to when he says the suffering of this present time? I believe he's talking about the Genesis 3 state of all creation at first. I think he's talking about the fact that you and I are sinners. That we have come short of the glory of God and even in this process of sanctification, it is not, you know, constant steps forward. How many of you have experienced that your walk with the Lord has been two steps forward and one step backwards? And sometimes it's one step forward and three steps backwards. And we find ourselves constantly struggling in this walk and how many of you ever get frustrated with it? I remember as a young man, I was praying one time, and in my prayer time, I prayed, I said, Lord, would you just take me home now so I can be right with you? And it was almost as if the Holy Spirit convicted me, and he said, oh, I see, it's not worth the struggle to you. 
Wow. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'll keep struggling, yeah. How many of you understand that marriage that is going to honor God is going to be a struggle? How many of you know this morning that rearing children for the glory of God is going to be a struggle? And it's never a three steps forward and, and four steps forward, but it seems like some days and some months that all we're doing is going backwards. And we're struggling. And I think Paul is describing this present struggle. As a matter of fact, in chapter 7, he said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, that's what I do. And, and he said, everything I'm trying to do right, I seem to fail at. And Paul's describing the fact that we live in a fallen world and we're struggling with this Genesis 3 reality. Not just in our spiritual world, but the abiding struggle of our fallen nature within us. I think Paul could have been referring to the persecution of the church. I think he's talking about the compound condition of personal sin. No doubt, somewhere in his thinking, the political climate of his day. Make no mistake, the church did not get started in favorable conditions. And it does not continue or slow down because of favorable or unfavorable political winds. The work of God marches forward. Understand that the church has always marched through time and it always will until the trumpet sounds. We don't have to sit back and wonder, oh no, what's going to happen? No, 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 we're going to keep marching forward. But Paul is saying this struggle is real. You can't watch the news without knowing the struggle. You can't listen to the debates or hear the political pundits talk and not understand that there is a struggle that is real and it is felt. It is a present struggle. Maybe Paul's referring to the moral climate of his day. The brokenness of people was no different then than it is today. People are broken and hurting by sin, and sin is on the move, and it always will be until the day of resurrection when sin is no more. And that is a reality. No doubt Paul could be referring to all of this. He's looking at this present struggles, all the goodbyes that we have to say. I hate saying goodbyes. All the separation by distance, all the misunderstandings and hurt feelings, all the times we've disappointed someone. Maybe Paul's thinking here of, of John Mark who got left behind on the missionary journey, and Barnabas, who he and he, he and Barnabas parted ways because they had a sharp contention between one another. And Paul is sitting here thinking, this present struggle, this right now time is, is, is sufferings of this present time. Paul is feeling the weight of this. Then we see not only does he say the sufferings of this present time, we're coming back to that, but he said the unrevealed glory. He said they are not worthy to be, glory, to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's a glory that is going to be revealed. I go back to Christmas again. See, what he doesn't say here is an unmade glory. It's a glory that is a reality already. It just hasn't been revealed. Sometimes they'll put uh, uh, a little uh, announcement out and it'll say at the bottom of the video, wait for it. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen that? Wait for it. And they want you to be patient. Hey, don't, don't skip this yet because there's something coming. Christian, let me say this. If you're in this present struggle, let me just say something to you. Wait for it. It's coming. 
The children, as they see the presence around the tree and the anticipation of what is behind that. Now, I don't think any of you parents just wrapped empty boxes up and put them under the tree, but you wrapped the real presents, right? I, we used to go to Shoney's. Anybody remember Shoney's? Did y'all ever have those up here? Okay, good. Shoney's. I know big boys and that kind of thing, but we had Shoney's. And we go to Shoney's as a kid. We walk in around Christmas time, and they'd have this tree up with all of these presents. And it used to boggle my mind. Who are those for? What kids live here? You know? And my mom would try to explain, there's nothing, there's nothing in those boxes. They're empty. I got news for you. The glory is veiled right now, but there's something in the box. And one day, the wrapper will be taken off, the curtain will be pulled back, and we will see the unveiled glory that he had for us. <coughs> Paul exudes confidence. Look what he says this. He says in verse uh, number 18 again, not worthy to be compared with the glory which might be revealed. No, no, no. He says, shall be revealed. And by the way, he doesn't slow down in his confidence because he's saying later on, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. Paul is so confident that this glory is going to be unpacked and it's going to be unpacked and it's going to be realized. He said it shall be revealed. Even at the end of Paul's day in Philippians, I'm going to turn there real quick. You can join me in Philippians 1 if you like. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Verse number 19. He says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayers and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. See if you see any familiar phrases here. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, now also Christ shall be manifest in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, if I stay here, Christ is being revealed. If I die, Christ is being revealed. So no matter what happens to me, this glory shall be revealed. He has a confidence in this. So we see not only this glory that shall be revealed, but look at that intersecting little phrase here in between the suffering of this present time, the glory that shall be revealed. He said it is not worthy to be compared with. Not worthy of it. Really, when we consider the glory that shall be revealed and the present suffering, he said it's not worthy to be compared it doesn't measure up. Now this is not to discount present suffering. Paul is not saying, hey, get over it. What you whining about? Come on. That's not Paul saying at all. He's not making light of the present suffering, but he is putting in context that present suffering has a coming glory and that it is working for us that coming glory. Let me say this, if we live without hope of eternity, Paul tells us that we are of all men most miserable. If all we have is Christ down here, and there is no resurrection, and you can jot in the notes of your Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 19, Paul makes this argument. If all we down have down here is a list of moral principles to follow and a good example in Jesus Christ, and there is no glorification, Paul said we are of all men most miserable. 
He says, as a matter of fact, if there is no glorification at the end of this road, here's what I want you to do. I want you to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. So if there is no resurrection, if there is no glorification coming, then stop fooling with this sanctification stuff. Stop believing in this justification stuff. But friend, let me say this. If you believe, like I do, that Jesus Christ rose again, then make sure you are in Christ. Make sure that you are walking in sanctification because one day that glorification is coming. And he says it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. The present suffering will be put out of our minds as soon as the glory is revealed. I use this illustration only because Jesus used it. But he talks in John chapter 16, 17 through 22. Turn there with me real, real quick if you would. John chapter 16. John 16. And you'll see why I hesitate to use the illustration. If it weren't in Scripture, I wouldn't use it because I've never experienced this pain before. But it's the pain of childbirth. And look how he describes it in John 16, in verse number 17. He said, some of his disciples says, what is this? And he saith, in a little while, and yet you shall see me, not see me. And again, a little while, you shall see me, because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and he said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of what I said a little while, and you shall not see me? Again, a little while, and you shall see me. Do you see what Jesus is saying? A little while, I'm going to go to the Father. But in a little while, I'm coming back. And he said, we're wondering what he's talking about here. Verse 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. Ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now, there, and ye now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice. And get this, and your joy no man taketh from you. This is the hope that we're looking for. He said it is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. And so the present suffering, the revealed glory that is coming, is not being revealed. I remember years ago when my wife was expecting our second child, TJ. He was, uh, I don't know how many months along we were at the time, but we were a few months into the pregnancy, several months, far enough to have the ultrasound and all that to determine what the baby was, and we had not really come to a conclusion if we wanted to know what he was. And uh, we were getting ready to launch our vacation Bible school, and I think we had already had one day of vacation Bible school, and somewhere at 11 o'clock at night, Susie said, something's wrong. And I said, well, let's go to the emergency room. And so we went to the emergency room, and many of you have had to be there. And we sat through the emergency room that night, and I remember the nurse coming in, and, and somewhat unprofessionally says we, and we were so young, we didn't know, we didn't know, what to even ask or say. And I remember them coming in and saying, well, we're having a hard time finding a heartbeat. And you can just, we just, our hearts sunk. But we're gonna wait a little while and try again. And, and 
we, we sat there and it was 4.30 in the morning. It was five o'clock in the morning. And finally they said, you know, we're just going to send you home and schedule an appointment with a better technician to see if they can find the heartbeat. You need to make an appointment first thing. And we were just, but we were exhausted and beside ourselves. And I think the appointment was sometime around 10 or 11 o'clock that morning. And we went up to the place where they did the ultrasound. And I remember coming into the room and just the fearful heaviness of the moment. And they began to do the ultrasound. And, and I remember the nurse going, hey, there's the heartbeat. And our hearts went, oh. And the weight of it all was gone in that moment. And she said, you want to know what you got? And we looked at each other and we're like, yeah. And she said, you got a little boy. And, and just the joy that flooded our soul in that moment that our son was okay. It was all behind us. And friend, I got news for you. The pain that you've carried this week that you've told nobody about the heartaches that you bear day in and day out, the grief that you go through one day when the trumpet sounds and that glory is revealed, the curtain is lifted and we see it, it's going to be, oh, it's okay. The songwriter said a long time ago, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. He said the glory shall be revealed. I've got to show you this verse. Back to Romans. These two words here are so encouraging to me. I'm back in Romans 8. We said, first off, the suffering of the present time, the glory that shall be revealed, verse number 19, the earnest expectation. The word earnest expectation is a compounded word, and it describes a man straining to see the dawning of the day. I like that. It's, it's the idea of him looking out over the horizon and saying, it's almost time. I can see it. I can see it on the horizon, and he's straining to see. And Paul describes it as an earnest expectation. What did he describe about this earnest expectation? He said, the creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The earth cries out for the return and the unveiled glory. You understand it's not just you and I as believers that are anticipating it. This globe is anticipating it. This world groans under the weight of sin's curse and it, and it grieves over it. Humanity groans. All of humanity around us is groaning. They're hoping for something better. It is the heart cry of the human race. Give us hope. Give us hope. Give us something we can believe in. Give us something we can look to that would make this better. We see echoes of these groanings as they're heard in the faith we put into politics and the faith that people put into drugs. And we see drunkenness as, as, a, as even a, 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 a passion for somebody to grab something that has some hope. The search for cures for disease, we see it all around us. The economic debates as men wrestle with what is best. One relationship to another just in hope that somehow or another, the next relationship will be the answer. You see, the desires of this hope is exploited by men. All of the industries of the world know that this hope exists, and we exploit it. 
you have hope that you'll one day find a better vacuum cleaner that will solve all your problems and make your breakfast for you. And that's why we sit through the infomercials and that's why we watch it because we have hope that one day it'll be better. And one day there'll be something better. And man, and part of that hope is a wonderful thing because it unleashes the creativity of man that God has placed in his heart to build something better. And man, go to work this week and hope and build something better. And it's a wonderful thing and it's a powerful thing. But friend, all of those things are shadows of what is to come. Man continues to exploit this hope with gambling. And they says to this world that money will be your redeemer. The sex industry pushes it by the billions of dollars a year, saying that somehow or another pleasure can redeem you. Materialism, just a little bit more. Somehow or another comfort and things could be my redeemer. The entertainment society, with all of its whining and dining, says escapism is the only hope. Just unplug from reality. Pop this pill, drink this drink, watch this movie, get lost in this video game. Don't face reality. That's the best hope you could have. And what an empty promise it all is. You see, there is something fixed in the heart of man that says there must be something more. It must be better than this. The theme of all of our movies and books is something better is coming. No matter how dark the plot is, better comes within two hours. Because we want to see the end well. We have hope that it will be better. The groaning of the redeemed is a reality. Even as we have the spirit within us, it groans within us, verse number 23. Though we have been redeemed, we wait in this time and in these bodies for the fulfillment of the redemption that is coming. You know, I think in youth we can think that the world has the answers and we worship the world for the answers it will give. But then in our aged years, we think, is this all there is? And we despair of the world that did not answer the questions we had. They say the most disappointed people are not the people that are climbing the ladder, but the people at the top. Because they see there's nothing else to reach for. I've reached the top of my game. What more can I do? And I got news for you. This world does not contain the hope. The hope we have comes from outside this world. So the groanings are seen. The trials of life, the rat race we go through, all of this groaning, the learning, the failures, the aging of our bodies, the struggling with sin, the theological debates that will never end, the pain of separation. We have these struggles that are going on right now. But let me just say to you this morning that do not see those struggles this morning as a place of despair. Here's what I hope to do. If I could change your perspective on the pain in your knee this morning. If I could change the perspective on the sickness that would come. And all of the heartaches that are down the road. And, and here's the reality. I don't care how old you are. If you're in uh, fourth grade this morning and you're sitting in this church for the first year. In this service for the first year. The pain is going to come your way one day. And heartache will come. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the pains and the heartaches as not a reason for despair, but a testimony that Jesus is coming. I believe all of the pains of life are left to us to remind us that this world is not my home. Paul makes this argument even better as we get to Corinthians when he says, 
though this outward man be destroyed, the inward man is renewed day by day. He said, it seems like to me, the older we get, the more we long for glorification. Anybody want to testify to that? Yeah, and the young people, we, we sometimes, I'm going to include myself with young people this morning. We can anticipate what's coming so much that we fail to see this world is never going to answer all the questions you got. But there is a God in heaven that made you for a purpose and he has the answers and wants to lead you down that journey and let every pain, every heartache, every heartbrokenness that comes in life point you to the fact that this world is not all there is. That we're looking for a day that is coming when sin and sickness will be no more. When pain will be no more. First John says this, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we sorrow not with others which have no hope. This is what we anticipate. My favorite text on all of it, and I referenced 1 Corinthians already, but here it is. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. He said, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So in corrupt, corruption, this body, shall I put on incorruption, the glorified body, this mortal, this body, shall I put on immortality, the glorified body. Then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin and the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord Jesus Christ justified me. The Lord Jesus Christ is sanctifying me. And one day the Lord Jesus Christ will glorify me. This is what's coming. So now that we're standing here in the middle of these two stark realities that we have been justified by grace, we'll be glorified in hope. What are we to do right now? Well, Paul answers the question. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. So what am I saying? Stop questioning if it matters this morning. It matters. That diaper you changed this week matters. Those hours you put in on the job matter. God is using everything you do to bring about the unrevealed glory. He's doing it for His glory and for our good. God is in control. Stop asking, is it worth it? It is worth it. Too often, we are like farmers who plant the seed, and every two or three days, we're digging it up to see if it's growing. Plant the seed and let God give the increase. Stop weighing our options and sell out for God and for his glory, saying, Lord, my life is yours completely. I'm yielded to you completely. We have been justified. We, have, we are being sanctified. And we will be glorified. Now let's go preach Jesus this week to a world that is in the same groaning we're in, but they don't have the hope we do. We have the hope. Let's go tell somebody about it. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, your word is so sure. Oh, Father, it speaks so much to my heart. And what I pray, Father, that what is spoken to my heart has been communicated to your people this morning. Holy Spirit of God, do a work in our hearts that only you can do. With our heads bowed and eyes closed and no one's looking around, let's stand to our feet.
If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I pray that before you leave here, you would get that settled. We'd be happy to take the Bible and show you from God's Word how you can know that for sure. Maybe look to the person next to you, the person around you, and ask, could you talk with me? If they don't know, they can find somebody who can talk with you. Then believer, I don't know where you're at in the process. Maybe this morning you've been backslidden for months. Maybe you've been going on that path where it's four steps back and five more steps back and you don't seem to be making the progress. How about we just understand this morning that if you've been justified in Christ and he's working in you, then press toward the mark and let God do that work in you. Let's have a moment of prayer. ask you to add your blessing to what we've said together today. The songs we've confessed to one another, Lord, sink them down deep into our soul. Or the text of scripture we've read together, Lord, I pray, Father, that each of these things, Lord, would have an impact past the hour that we've enjoyed together. Holy Spirit of God, do a work in our midst. Lord, I pray, Father, there be one here that doesn't know you, that you and your graciousness would draw them to you. Or if there's one that's been away from you, that this morning you would draw them to you. Holy Spirit of God, do that work. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask all these things. All God's people said. God bless you folks. It's so good to be together on a Sunday morning. The hour seems to go by so quick.